0: you are now listening to wave a sound
1: welcome to episode 52 of versus mike history i am your host michael history be sure to like follow and subscribe to the podcast wherever you choose to listen and if we are your preferred platform let us know and we'll do our best to change that for premier access to versus mike history content join our members only subscription tier on versus mike
2: i think that the consciousness is high i have seen that consciousness but the poverty and the isolation and the racism is more embedded in this country because it's in the fabric of this country. This culture of racism has passed down through to this day. It has never been addressed seriously other than by black people. And now we have Aretha Franklin singing at the inaugural and all is okay. No, it is not okay. I don't care how many black mayors there are in America, uh, notwithstanding Tom Bradley. I do not care because the fact is that the economic power and that the main power in this country is there is still a divided country. We are still Africans lost in America, as far as I'm concerned, and that we do have to address our, our issues on our own, because I don't believe that there's an agenda for assimilation. And as for me, I don't want to be assimilated into an, an environment that has committed genocide on other peoples, that has endorsed chattel slavery and institutional oppression. Comrade uh, Stanley says that now we have all these mayors. In 1965, the Africans rebelled in Watts. Yorti was mayor, a white man. You can call him a racist. In 1992 they rebel. Bradley is mayor. He's an African. What is the objective difference here? The only difference is that American capitalism, in order to try and deceive the people, tries to give us visibility without any power at all. Right. As you yourself point out, Comrade Stanley, Africans in this country (laughs) have more elected officials than any other ethnic group in the country. We have no power at all.
1: Once again, we are back for number 52 of Versus Mike History. I am your host, Michael History. And, um, you know, it's been a while. I took last week off because it was a holiday. Um, Valentine's Day passed. So, happy holiday to all the lovers that celebrated last weekend. And if you didn't, um, that's your business. Um, It's been... It's been a nice little week off from the podcast. I'm not going to lie. I've been uh, implementing a lot of new things, a lot of new ideas that I've had in mind for, um, you know, bringing the podcast to the next level and really just upping it on everyone. So we're going to see a lot of that in this episode. Um, I know you guys heard the new podcast intro at the beginning of the episode um that is courtesy of e jones of Jamla records um who is also who also happens to be a new jersey native so shout out to e jones and let's go ahead and get into our episode today so y'all know we always um have to leave with love and i want to give a shout out to the aquaba mansion um so the aquaba mansion is a black owned bnb bed and breakfast located in brooklyn new york they also have locations in new jersey and um pennsylvania and washington dc as well um and I happened to stay at one of, I, had to, I happened to stay at their Brooklyn location, um, last weekend. And when I tell you that that location is amazing, it's amazing. You know, um, they treat you really good. The innkeepers treat you very well and it's quiet. It's out of the way in the community that it's in. And, um, you know, it was a really enjoyable experience. Breakfast was amazing every morning. I want to give a special shout out to Monique and Elle who accommodated me while I was there. You guys are awesome and amazing. Thank you so much for all of your help. And um, I look forward to coming back in the future. You know, if you guys are ever looking for a small little getaway, um, if you're from the East Coast and you're looking, and you're ever looking for a small getaway um check out the aquaba mansion in brooklyn um nice little sneaky link or you know if you're older for the couples and for the lovers out there you know whatever you may be into um go ahead and check that out because they have exceptional service and it's black owned so yeah let's go ahead and get into our black spotlight So I was scrolling on Twitter the other day, and I came across a tweet by Phil Lewis, who was talking about a black owned bookstore that he had come across that he just discovered. And the name of that bookstore is called Baldwin & Co., and I'm reading a description of their bookstore from their website, and it says, Baldwin & Co. is an independent bookstore located in New Orleans, Louisiana. Inside, books on mystery, business, history, art, travel, and children's literature, and more fill the floor to ceiling shelves. In addition to books, Baldwin & Co. offers high-quality coffee, tea, and fresh pastries. It is truly more than a bookstore. It's a celebration of growth mindset. Baldwin & Co. also stocks numerous regional titles, as well as cards, journals, and gifts, and regularly hosts events with local and visiting authors. So I want to give a shout out to this um, newly opened Black-owned business, Black-owned bookstore in New Orleans called uh, Baldwin & Co. Um, Not only is it important that we highlight Black businesses opening around the country, especially in the times that we're living in, um, it is also important to give bookstores our money so that um, they aren't being lost in this time where people are reading less and buying books less and you know just everything is becoming more digital so I just wanted to give a shout out to them and we can go ahead and keep it moving all right let's go ahead and get into our off the topics okay and our first topic is a little late and it covers Dame Dash because Dame Dash has just relaunched his studio and you know it's been one of the projects that i personally have been following closely for some time now because i know that it was supposed to launch and um it didn't and i was you know keeping up with dame on socials and watching a bunch of interviews that he did that he did in promotion of it um trying to keep up and um, and now it's finally here but I just want to touch on one thing uh, when it comes to Dame that that bothers me a little bit not necessarily that anything that he does but how people um, speak to him when he chooses to do uh, media and it's the fact that people when Dame gives people the opportunity to have him on their platform they always choose to ask the wrong questions um, I feel, that every time I go to watch a Dame interview, it's always pertaining to. Well, it's always them always asking him the same questions and him giving the same answers. Not because um, he's a one-trick pony or he just plays one tune, but because you know how how many ways can you answer the same question over and over again? And Dame has made it clear that he's creating a platform um, for our community where you can purchase the things that you see within the media that's being presented to you um, through that same app. And that's completely innovative. And the interviews that I've seen, um, you know, with w- with people speaking to him, they always try to backtrack to the past and get old stories out of him or try to get uh, ownership gems or things like that. And I think that this project that he's, you know, putting right in front of our faces, Is something that's really huge and innovative and um, you know we just got to put our heroes within our culture on the platform that they deserve to be on so shout out to Dame Um, check out Dame Dash studios you can go ahead and peep their website I don't know the link but um, you know it's not hard to find those guys are popular but let's go ahead and move on all right our next topic um, I'm getting this from Deadline and you know, this is pretty exciting news. So Ruth Negga is N-E-G-G-A, by the way. Ruth Negga is to star as Josephine Baker in a limited series at ABC Signature from D. Harris Lawrence, uh, Millicent Shelton, and LeBron James' Spring Hill Company. So bear with me while I get this, while I get this off. The remarkable story of Josephine Baker, one of the Most influential entertainers of the 20th century will be the subject of Josephine, a limited drama series in development at ABC Signature with Ruth Nega attached to star as a legendary jazz age performer and civil rights activist. I think that is really great that we're getting all of these projects that are um, now detailing the lives of some of our most influential uh, black entertainers and leaders of the past um it is really important that we take control of our stories and how they are told um this renaissance that we're in of black actors and actresses um gaining the types of roles that they deserve is pleasing to me but As always, we can always do more. We need black, more black directors and producers and screenwriters and things like that to, you know, um, fill out these uh, production crews and make sure that these stories are as authentic as possible. And with someone or with a group like Spring Hill Entertainment, um, which is LeBron's production company who someone who we know is uh very much so um aware of the struggles that we go through w- within our culture. Uh it's important that we have people on our side ready to tell the the narratives the way we need them to be told. And all in all it's really exciting, you know. Um this black renaissance that we're in is really awesome. It is um you know, very similar It draws a lot of parallels to um, the time period that existed 100 years ago in Harlem, the Harlem Renaissance. You know, it's really exciting times. So all in all, I'm really excited to see this project and where it goes. And yeah. And last but not least, for our off the topics, we have... A match of champions set for us at the Australian Open that just passed this weekend and we had the opportunity to see none other than Naomi Osaka go against the legendary Serena Williams and might I say Naomi Osaka um, ended the match um, very quickly but not painlessly Um, during this match. We saw Serena Williams make a flurry of mistakes that um, led to Naomi Osaka's victory. Um, Not saying that Naomi Osaka's drive talent and cold blooded instinctiveness to land the ball where she wanted it to, during her serves all culminated in her victory and i want to congratulate her on an amazing match and one match that showed that her future is extremely bright and that she pretty much i mean she's pretty much the best tennis player in the world at this point you know um, if we're talking about beating Serena Williams um, quickly, uh, and, you know, we got to see a little bit of Serena Williams in her post-conference, um, and she, could, she couldn't she could really keep it together. Um, she was very upset and very bothered by the mistakes she had made during the match, and, um, you know, a lot of people are speaking about retirement right now for our beloved champion, and um, just because we have a new, younger guard coming into the sport, um, showing signs of dominance, does not mean that Serena's time is all but over. I think that she has um, a couple good years in her left. If she really wants to play, if that's what she really wants, but if not, she has won enough titles that, you know, her contribution to the sport and to athletes everywhere um, goes unsaid. So, shout out to Serena Williams. We all love you still. Naomi Osaka, congratulations on your Australian Open Grand Slam title. Uh, She has only lost, I believe, two matches since 2019. So, we see the direction that our young champion is moving towards and it really excites me and um i hope that our community continues to support her and yeah you know it's time so we can go ahead and get into some new music now i want to start with a couple tiny desk performances that i saw over the course of this week so the first one that i want to talk about is givion's tiny desk um i really enjoyed it I thought he did really well in his performance. Um, I wish that he would have performed a couple of his older songs as well. But, you know, um, I just feel like, well, I, I, you know what? Now that I think about it, I think he did perform some of his older songs. But I think that there kind of just was a lack of balance between um, the older songs and newer songs. And, you know, his choice of set. I would have uh went in a different direction, but all in all, it was an amazing uh performance nonetheless now um Rick Ross's tiny desk on the other hand, was um a little bit more problematic. I say this because I say this not because Rick Ross performed less than uh up to par because Rick Ross is an amazing performer and he has um outstanding records that would, um, you know, shine bright in a Tiny Desk setting. But it was of my personal belief that his song choice and his backup vocalists were not um, chosen with the best decision making. Um, I'll start with his, his set. So let me go look that up right now. I'm sorry, I should have had this pulled up for you guys already. But, um, you know, it really bothered me. It really bothered me that, um, you know, he performed basically his largest songs. Like, I we didn't get Santorini Grease or anything like that. So, I'm going to go ahead and pull up his uh, his set, which was... Super high into blowing money fast into Aston Martin music into I'm not a star into Fuck with me you know I got it into Tears of Joy. Now, um, these aren't bad songs by any by any stretch of the um any stretch of the word. Super high BMF. Most of these are hit records. BMF is a hit record. Aston Martin music is a hit record. I'm not a star is a hit record. Fuck with me you know I got it is a hit record. Super high and Tears of Joy not so much but those are her classics. Um and you know his just just his choice of songs, they it, it it I don't really know if he thought that tiny desk was the platform to play like your biggest 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 records, but that's kind of how it came off. And I don't think that I do think that he could have um gotten a little bit more creative. Um Now, in the case of his background vocalists, um, whose names are also under that um, description, but I won't name them, um, I just don't understand how that issue came to be. Because if you're going to hire background vocalists as a rapper, in my personal opinion, you got to know that your singers can sing. You know, like... The thing that bothered me the most about it, I think, was the fact that um, the guy who was singing background vocals for for Rick Ross, the part that sounded the worst was Drake's part on um, Aston Martin music, and the thing that bothers me about that is the fact that Drake can't sing. He literally can't sing, so his vocals his vocal ability on that song should not have been a difficult feat for any trained vocalist. And for the young man with the pink hair in the video, it was a large feat uh, for him to, you know, overcome those notes. And, you know, um, at the end of the day, I do feel as though um, that shouldn't have been aired. But, you know, It is what it is and we got that performance that we got so that's all we can really do with that um i kind of just wanted to speak on it for a little bit but that's pretty much all i had to say in terms of new music we get a um a go crazy remix featuring young uh featuring mulatto future and um who else is on this long song uh sorry uh, Future and Lil Durk and Mulatto. Yeah, so Future, uh, Lil Durk, and Mulatto are on the Go Crazy remix um, that was put out by Chris Brown and Young Thug. I'm assuming that they are looking for that song to do the numbers this summer that it was supposed to do last summer. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, Miguel has a new song with this artist called Tainy called sunbathe i think is really cool um brent fires dropped a song from uh black history always i guess it's for a a film soundtrack uh but the song is called eden i think it's really awesome uh denzel curry can it beat and robert glasper have uh some new music out jim jones Dropped an EP with Harry Fraud called The Fraud Department. That EP is very dope or a project, whatever you want to call it. You can go ahead and get that. Chippy Red has some new music out. Kevin Gates has some new music out. Kelly Rowland dropped an album called K. I believe this is an album. Is Oh, nope, I think it's an EP. Um, She dropped an EP entitled K. And... That is pretty much all I have for you guys. Yep, that's pretty much it when it comes to new music. Um, I feel like there was a music video I wanted to talk about, but I can't think of anything right now. Regardless, that is all for new music, and let's get on to our television and film reviews. Okay, so I wanted to start with um, the Mortal Kombat trailer, just because I feel like I don't take enough time to talk about trailers on the podcast as much as I should, um, because that's something that, you know, we all keep up with. But the Mortal Kombat trailer has finally arrived, a film that will um, premiere on HBO Max sometime next month. Uh, And I thought that it was dope. You know, as someone who grew up on the Mortal Kombat on the old Mortal Kombat films, Um, we've gotten some really good moments in the films and we've gotten some really shitty moments in the films. And this one looks like it's going to try to stay truer to the imagery of the video game, which I love. Um, it seems that they are going, uh, full gore and, um, full, you know, graphic violence with this film. Which is the best way to do Mortal Kombat, because you know thinking about it, I was thinking about this before I started recording, but um Mortal Kombat was like one of the main video games growing up that i wa that I played that was like graphically detailed, and you know, um thinking back, I'm like, yo, this is like one of the most specific looking video games so the fact that it was has been adapted to um television and film so many times and a not so accurate depiction um it's just mind-blowing to me because it is a very uh strong um ip and you know i'm just glad that we're getting it again but we see a lot of we see a lot happen in this trailer i don't want to do a whole breakdown i just think that it's um gearing up to be a very exciting film, and I hope that the quality isn't bad, it doesn't look poor, uh, and I just hope that it isn't too cheesy, you know, I love, I hate when we get over, uh, I hate an over-violent film that has a cheesy script, like, you'd be surprised how many times we see that in Hollywood, but all in all, that's all I pretty much had on Mortal Kombat, and let's get into some wandavision all righty so we got episode seven of wandavision and a lot of things happened um i just want to note that it has been a very 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 wild journey up until this point on this um in this series and you know it makes me really excited for all the things to come in the future but um during this episode we got a lot of new developments such as um you know Agnes going and hanging out with the twins for a bit because Wanda is still reeling from expanding the hex. Uh we see what Vision is up to um post hex expansion after he's found Darcy Lewis. Um and you know all of these stories more or less converged by the end of the episode. Um we don't get a lot of or pretty much any Pietro uh until the mid credits scene which I didn't know we were getting now but <clears throat> I had to find that out on the second watch but whatever. Um yeah, a lot of a lot of interesting things are happening. Uh Wanda is losing control of her abilities. This is because Um, you know, there's just a lot of going, there's just a lot going on in general. She has to keep up with everybody within the hex. Then she has to worry about the people outside of the hex trying to bother her. Then you got our rat pack of Darcy, Jimmy, Monica, uh, just basically trying to solve whatever is going on and just them being pretty much way in over their heads. Um, We got Agnes in this episode or throughout the series, you know, coming in, playing a guest role not really knowing what uh, she's up to until this episode where we see that um, she takes the twins off of Wanda's hands. When she starts stressing, she dismisses Monica Rambeau when she addresses Wanda in terms of getting rid of the hex. And. We finally see Agnes reveal her true intentions by the end of the episode to Wanda, who ends up back in her home, Um, which I won't reveal because, you know, spoilers and stuff. You guys got to catch up. I get it. But watch the show. You know what I'm talking about. Um, It's very, very all very exciting things. happening Um, if you keep up with the comics or if you don't keep up with the comics I'm here to fill you in Um, a lot of the story that they've chosen to um, adapt for the series comes from the comic book house of M uh, where Wanda loses vision she loses her children and she basically wishes away all mutants clearly the MCU does not have mutants within they're canon right now so we are just gonna have to sit back and see how they choose to introduce mutants into the mcu either through this series or through another major action but um most likely we'll probably see something some sort of variant of you know uh a seed being planted here um apparently there's supposed to be some large reveal of a guest character that we haven't seen Pietro wasn't the big reveal which is pretty exciting we got that from Paul Bettany he said that it is an actor that he's wanted to work with his whole life um, which makes a lot of people think that the actor probably is male and British uh, and white (laughs) Uh, but regardless we got some good content um, in store for us for the next two weeks until um the show is over and yeah you know it was pretty awesome last but not least let's go ahead and get into our full review of the 2021 film judas and the black messiah so judas and the black messiah is a film that premiered on hbo max and in theaters simultaneously uh, as part of their new um strategy and the film stars Daniel Kaluuya as Fred Hampton, uh, Lakeith Stanfield as William O'Neill, Jesse Plemons as Roy Mitchell, um, FBI agent Roy Mitchell, um, Dominique Fishback as Deborah Johnson, Ashton Sanders as Jimmy Palmer, and Martin Sheen as J. Edgar Hoover um this film was directed by shaka king uh it was produced by shaka king in addition to ryan Kugler. and shaka king also helped script this film with will burson um and it was re- and it was released on february 12th so my initial thoughts about this film are that it was a film you know um, I watched it a few times because of how heavy the information that it dealt with was Um, but all in all it is a great story um, that was handled with care and you can tell the thing I will say though is that um i personally made the uh conscious decision to not indulge in black trauma which to me is any film with black people that depicts them in any type of hardship or struggle but this specific story um i felt was so important that um you know, it. I had to kind of go over that rule for this, and I had to see what type of uh, impact this film was going to try to have. And you know, we're already getting rumblings of Daniel Kaluuya for best actor um, for his portray- for his portrayal in this film. But let's go ahead and get into it. So, this film is. Focused on the character of Bill, who is William O'Neill, an informant for the FBI who got in that position because he would pretend to be a federal agent while stealing cars from other people within his own community. Um, This led him to joining the Black Panther Party, where he would, um, you know, climb the ranks due to resources from the Bureau and um, gain the trust of all the Panthers involved. Um, One thing that annoys me about these types of stories is how they go about showing how the person who is infiltrating the organization is going to uh, gain the trust of the organization. Those types of scenes always bother me because it's clear that they're just setting it up to show you how he was able to get in their good graces. But in reality it's not always some test of uh you know putting a gun in somebody's face and being like, "Oh, somebody else recognizing them from somewhere and them having to create some crazy story on the spot and you know, just the whole scene with them going to visit the green berets and the uh catching up with the old uh green beret who whose car he tried to steal and everything like that um it was a great scene but i feel as though that part took away from it definitely um this film focuses on bill but daniel kalua is the star in the way he portrays Fred Hampton. Um, His portrayal is so spot on and so powerful and moving that you almost forget that we're not supposed to be following this character, we're supposed to be following another character. Uh, The speeches that they write into the script are extremely powerful and are reminiscent of the actual words that Fred Hampton would give at his rallies. And um, I was very appreciative of that. Something else that um, really that that I really enjoyed was the fact of how human they made the Panthers. They didn't make them some overzealous, super angry people all the time. And the struggle, the struggle, the struggle, the struggle. There was a lot of that because of the content, but. You know, the characters were very believable, and the acting in this film was phenomenal. Ashton Sanders, who I didn't even know was going to be in this film, uh, was phenomenal in his uh, role as Jimmy Palmer, and just his um, his cadence is always outstanding to me. Um, Lakeith as Bill, you know, I've been keeping up with uh, a couple of Lakeith interviews, and he talks about how he's needed therapy since... Uh, Playing this role and I can understand why because of how heavy the um, how heavy the subject matter is of this film and Daniel Kaluuya I've said what I need to say Jesse Plemons his role as the FBI agent who was stringing along Lakeith or Bill William O'Neill is one of cold calculation um, even though his character isn't completely all on the most serious side um, you can see that they try to write in the character with some sort of conscience with his you know um, with his bosses not having any but we all know that that's not how it really went down. so it doesn't matter and um, I think that the heart of this film was Dominique Fishback though as Deborah Johnson. You know, uh, we start the film, well, we don't start the film with her, but when we get to Fred Hampton, we get to her as well. Um, She's in the crowd, and in my opinion, she acts as the audience, uh, the audience's conscience, as well as uh, portraying her own. Because of the emotions she goes through in this film, she goes through it as somebody who is seeing Hampton for the first time in person, um creating a relationship with him, then you know um, following that relationship and letting it grow and develop, and then once something does develop majorly in their relationship, which is her getting pregnant, her perspective changes because of the content of his speeches where he's talking about going to jail, being murdered for what he believes in, and everything like that, and you know once you bring a child into this world, your whole viewpoint of... How you want to represent yourself or how you want to use um your force for for good in this world um has to be re- reevaluated in some type of way. And I think that I think that Dominic Fishback in this role as deborah Johnson um was was so real, and you know her her emotions bled through the script onto the screen and into our hearts. And, um, you know, all the events that took place in this film um, with Panthers getting murdered and, you know, Bill's relationship with um, with Roy Mitchell and, you know, just seeing the different things that uh, Hampton was trying to accomplish in the midst of all of these other things happening around him, unbeknownst to him was just a lot to take in at one time. And I do think that this film was quite necessary, as I said before. Um but it was also very emotionally heavy. It was very emotionally heavy. Uh it was definitely needed during Black History Month. And I think that um this ensemble cast Needs to be recognized in some way or fashion uh, over the course of the year because because of their performances. So many great black actors were a part of this production, and they all put their all into uh, creating the best environment for this to be such an amazing production and such an amazing film. And I hope that you know when award season comes around for these films, it's acknowledged with the best of the best because that's what it is that's just simply what it is um i'll get into the editing a little bit the film was shot well and captured um clarifying the feeling of attending a panther rally the feeling the real life footage in the beginning of the film in addition to the real life audio clips that were used um were a good touch to the authentic uh, to the authenticity of the story um You know, we get Lakeith portraying Bill in the beginning of the film and in the middle of the film from uh, The Eyes on the Prize 2 documentary, and we see a little bit of the real footage of Bill at the end of the film, which was very enlightening, and um, I know it was pretty heavy for Lakeith, man, like uh, just putting himself into into those shoes of somebody who just wasn't empathetic uh, to the movement and somebody who thinks he just had mental health issues that's the only thing i could think of because you know seeing the man talk about how he he was a part of the struggle and how he contributed this and that even though he was the direct cause of fred hampton's death and i and i wouldn't say the eventual uh falling of the black panther party but um you know the panthers fell after And that was the intended goal of the director of the FBI, um, J. Edgar Hoover, who would go on to be the president. And another thing that bothers me about the narrative surrounding this film is that is how the FBI is portrayed, which is that they don't care about the health and well-being of of any of the uh, citizens, the black citizens, um, looking to make a change in this film. And, you know, the narrative is that this was a dark moment in the Bureau's history and that it isn't like that anymore. But we all know that it isn't true because J. Edgar Hoover went on to become the president after he was the director of the FBI, which would set a national precedent um, throughout the country of what was and wasn't accepted from political groups in the country. And, you know, all of these things have direct correlation to the society that we live in today. And, you know, if you refuse to believe that, then we'll continue living in the cycle that we are. But in order for things to change, we must be revolutions, revolutionaries, excuse me, the way Fred envisioned us to be. Maybe not exactly the way he wanted us to be, but um, a lot of the words he said um, still ring true to this day. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways from this film is that a lot of sentiments and feelings and actions that are happening in this film that takes place in the late 60s is still occurring in the second decade third decade excuse me of the 21st century and i will leave you guys there because that's pretty much all i have Um, so as always some topics questions music and movie suggestions Follow the podcast on Twitter at VS Mike history and on Instagram and the Facebook and the fan base app, excuse me, fan base, not Facebook at versus Mike history. Follow me on Twitter at Mike history and on Instagram at last name history. And I chose to still play music during our episodes, but we will be playing them at the end of our episodes now. So they will be called sound selections and this week's sound selection comes from victoria monet and this song is entitled f u c k
0: Your favorite color blue Cause you something like my crib tonight I think I want you to maybe meet me at my crib tonight Might not be the one, but I'm definitely the prototype Let's get down and get it on the floor, floor Wanna be afraid? friend CK yeah then you can keep on